Good morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster. On this day, we have been so eagerly anticipating for 10 months the day when our prospective pastor will preach, and we look forward to our future together. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or watching this service over our YouTube channel, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we offer you a special welcome, and we hope that you'll participate in all aspects of our service this morning. For all of us, our, as I say every time I do this, our first gift to God this morning is our presence here. So to acknowledge your presence, and if you're comfortable doing so, if you would uh, get the attendance register that you'll find in the hymn book holders on the inside aisle there and complete that. Uh, that's members, visitors, everyone, please, so that we'll know your presence today. Please remember that our mission trunk emphasis this month is MedCamps of Louisiana. You'll find more information about MedCamps and their needs uh, in, the order, in the insert in the order of worship. And we hope that you'll please help fill our mission trunk for this worthy cause. Please remember our regular bi-monthly business meeting tonight at 7, preceded by potluck dinner at 6. Please be present for this good time of, of food and, and table fellowship, followed by our regular business meeting. The youth group will meet tonight or this afternoon late at, at 5 o'clock and uh, at that meeting youth will talk about uh, youth camp for the summer so please be present for that and then after that you'll join us for potluck dinner. Is that right Beth? All that? Great. Thanks. Uh, we're thankful to Marilyn Decker who created the beautiful uh, floral arrangement on the communion table for this morning's worship. Uh, after the service, as usual, please feel free to take some of the flowers to brighten yours or someone else's week. And I told Marilyn that there might be some, you know, some good-natured fighting to get to these really beautiful uh, flowers this morning. As always, please uh, check out the insert in the order of worship or, or review our newsletter for other announcements and opportunities. We're so excited this morning to welcome Jillian and Eric Hankammer to Northminster. Reverend Hankammer, Jillian, is our preacher and worship leader for the morning. As you know, she is our pastor search committee's <coughs> unanimous and enthusiastic choice to be our next senior pastor, to minister alongside us into the next chapter of our journey here at Northminster. Presently, Jillian is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, a position she's held since April of 2018. Previously, for five years, she served as an associate pastor at Kirkwood Baptist Church in St. Louis, like Northminster, a partner congregation of the Alliance of Baptists. Jillian grew up in Nacogdoches, Texas, not too far from here where she has, has, was active in the Austin Heights Baptist Church, also an Alliance of Baptist uh, congregation. She received a Bachelor of Social Work degree at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches and her Master of Divinity degree at the McAfee, McAfee School of Theology in Atlanta. Eric is a St. Louis native with undergraduate and graduate degrees. He currently works at Bucknell University and coaches soccer, his passion, I might add, <laughs> for several local teams there. 
Jillian and Eric, welcome to Northminster. Immediately following the benediction this morning, we'll ask Jillian and Eric to adjourn to the pastor's office, and the church will be called into a special business meeting to consider the recommendation of the pastor search committee that we call Jillian as our senior pastor. If you're visiting with us this morning and do not want to stay, of course, uh, you're welcome to leave prior to the beginning of the meeting, or you can stay, your choice. Indeed, an exciting day to be in worship at Northminster. So now, let us worship God together. Good morning. Before we begin, I'd like to do two things. The first is to say thank you to all of you for your wonderfully warm welcome. We are thrilled to be here. We're not as thrilled with the weather, but we will get used to it once again. I also hope you'll join me in a practice that I do with my church in Pennsylvania every week. Uh, I need it this morning, so I hope you'll play along. And that is to take a couple deep breaths together. Take a deep breath. Let that breath not only calm your heart, but quiet your mind. If it helps, think about that breath going all the way down to the tips of your toes. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out your worries as best you can. Breathe out those things that would keep you distracted from this time that we have together because it is precious. Breathe in again one more time. Know that you are loved by God exactly as you are. And then if you would, please join me in the call to worship. We have gathered to worship God whose love has been made tangible and real by, in our lives by Christ, our brother. In the chaotic world in which we live, finding the true God who asks us only to love and be loved may seem just beyond our grasp. Hear, O Israel, hear. All people of earth, the Lord our God is one, and we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and might. May that love for our one true God be reflected in our love for one another and in our care for God's creation. Come, sing your praises. Let your prayers go forth. Hear God speak to you today and feast at the table of peace and reconciliation. This day which God has made is a day to rejoice and be glad, for we can truly know our God in all the goodness that surrounds us every day. Let us worship together with gladness.
Gospel according to John. From Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is the only Son, the incarnation of love, that lives in the heart of God, who has made known God to us. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. God of all creation, who called every being into life and is mindful of humanity in all its diversity, who embodies us with dignity and bodily autonomy, reminds us this morning that you grant us different gifts and talents to shape your church and serve your world. We ask on this morning, full of new possibilities, that your spirit would unite us, both here within these walls and outside these walls. We ask this not because we want or believe everyone should believe or act or worship as we do, but because we desire to face misunderstanding, disunity, and division with the love and compassion of Christ. So in silence, we lay before you the burdens of our hearts. We ask for your spirit to unite us in the face of conflicts, hatred, and violation of life, in the face of war and the violence created by people who are only interested in power and control, in the face of political decisions we neither understand nor agree with. And in silence, we bring to you the pain of victims, the disenfranchised, the ones in our society who are far too easy to overlook. We ask for your spirit to unite us wherever fear prevents us from caring for our neighbor, from meeting people of different ethnicities, cultures, and faith communities with respect. We ask for your spirit to unite us in ways that are accessible, loving, healing, and inclusive of those the church has excluded or shamed for simply being who they are. And in silence, we bring to you the brokenness that is too often part of human relationships. God of all creation, in Christ we are reconciled. We are shown an example of new and eternal life. We are given grace when having faith in you is difficult and on the days when we feel like we don't know you at all. So we ask for your uniting spirit to help us to overcome our divisions, 
that we may live as the people you have created us to be. Amen. of the Apostles. 
an account of Paul in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was so full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this pretentious babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was said because Paul was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went throughout the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, whose realm is all of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. God gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. God made all people and put them in the care of the whole earth. The times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live are allotted by God, so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him. The people have fumbled about in their search for God, though indeed God is not far from each of us. For it is in God that we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said. For we too are God's offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, the time for true repentance has come. God appointed Jesus Christ, a man, a human being, to come into the world to show us the way to true repentance. We are assured of this by his having been raised from the dead. This is one of our ancient stories. Thanks be to God.
friends, let's pray together. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I have two confessions to make this morning. The first is that I struggle with Paul. There's a litany of reasons for this. Uh, We can get into that maybe at another time, but the top of the list is that he tends to use three or a dozen words when three really would suffice. The other confession is that I was rude to Mormons this week. Well, to be be a little more accurate, I was firm and direct with two Latter-day Saint missionaries this week. Without sharing too many personal details, what I'll tell you is that one of my, my church folks back in Pennsylvania somehow got into the missionary's orbit of potential converts. And they were working hard to convince her to become a Latter-day Saint. This included trying to get her to stop drinking coffee, which she was not having, but mostly to be rebaptized in their church. The church member, for several different reasons, wasn't able to extract herself from the situation, so she asked for my help. And I arrived at the uh, appointed date a bit ahead of time and checked in with the church member, made sure we were on the same page. No, she didn't want to be baptized again. No, she doesn't want to go to another church. And most importantly, no, she doesn't want to stop drinking coffee. (laughs) A few minutes later, the missionaries arrived, and y'all, they were so young. Two female missionaries, they couldn't have been more than 19 or 20. And they had that, that awkwardness that comes with trying to evangelize to people, but not being very good at it. Not, not having a lot of experience and just generally being uncomfortable and a little clumsy. My church member introduced me as her pastor, and I didn't even let them start talking. I cut right in and explained that she's been a member of our church for years. She teaches children Sunday school every week. She has been baptized. I said, we respect your faith. Certainly respect your faith. Respect the work that you're doing on behalf of it. But this isn't a faith that this, this woman has any interest in. Now, I'll admit, I did chastise them a little bit for taking advantage of someone who is vulnerable. But it was a gentle chastising, especially if they're going to do church work. <laughs> like I said, I was firm but direct. And it didn't work at all. <laughs> Because as soon as I got done speaking, one of the missionaries asked if they could say a prayer for the future of my church members' salvation in the Latter-day Saints Church. I couldn't quite believe how persistent she was. I was a little impressed by it. But at that point, I didn't care about being rude anymore. And I not only insisted that they leave and not come back, I made it clear I'd be reporting them to the building's manager. Later, when I'd calmed down, It took a little while. I remembered that these very young women were only doing what they thought was best. What their church has told them they are on mission to do. As I said, in some ways, their dedication is admirable, and I'm sure they think they are sincerely helping people. Yet sincerity does not excuse taking advantage of someone. 
Dedication to your faith does not make telling someone that they aren't going to heaven acceptable. And being a missionary is not a free pass to be manipulative. Now, to be fair, the Latter-day Saints are far from the worst or only offenders when it comes to evangelism. I well remember growing up in East Texas and being witnessed to by classmates who were concerned about my salvation. Not because I didn't go to church or know Jesus. I grew up in the church. I grew up Baptist. I was Baptist just like them, except that my Baptist church allowed women to be deacons and pastors. We loved gay people, so I was obviously going to hell. (laughs) You don't need me to tell you that the church has an abysmal history of evangelism. So much that that word evangelism in and of itself is loaded and can cause us to have a pretty emotional reaction. For although ours is a religion centered around God's love, too often Christians are more interested in being in control than being in relationship. Which means when it comes to telling people about Jesus, we have to reckon with the church's history of choices Christ would neither recognize nor approve of. All of this is why this morning's story of Paul in Athens is important. Because take that pen out of Paul, and let's look more closely at these verses, because even I have to admit, he approaches this situation with a significant amount of respect. There are some scholars who argue that his words here are snarky. They imply that Paul is talking down to these pagans who don't know any better, than to have a statue to an unknown god. But as you get into the nitty-gritty of the passage, that doesn't track, because Paul really does make an effort to speak to the Athenians in a way they can relate to. Let's dig into some context so this makes sense. Uh, As Dr. Catherine A. Shanner notes, at this time, and you probably know this, Athens is a hub for the intellectual and cultural elite. It is the Oxford or the Harvard Square of the first century world. Philosophers and wannabe philosophers swarm in the porticos and stoas, which are ancient equivalents of coffee shops or craft breweries. The city is full of writers and historians, geographers and composers, artists and architects, physicians and lawyers, making Athens the place to be. Athens is also cosmopolitan in its religious expressions. Athena is, of course, the primary god of the city, but hundreds of others are part of its fabric. This includes Jewish folks of different sects and backgrounds, whom we're told in verse 17, Paul begins his visit with, which was his custom. But then he goes from the synagogue to the marketplace, and for the first time, we get the sense that Paul is a bit out of his element. Perhaps it's the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who set him on the back foot. But unlike the Jews Paul encounters in the synagogues, these guys have dedicated their entire lives to debate and contemplation. They do this day in and day out, so Paul is nothing new to them. They are not particularly impressed. Or perhaps it's the people's curiosity that catches Paul off guard. We're told in verse 19 that Paul's preaching stirs the Athenians' curiosity because their favorite pastime is conversation about new and unusual things. 
And rather than running, out, running Paul out of town, throwing him in jail, as usually happens, the Athenians take Paul to the Aragopagus, or Mars Hill, another name for it, and they invite him to speak. Paul begins this conversation by more or less saying, look, I'm not going to say anything new to you. My faith isn't anything you aren't already aware of, with the exception of some background information on this unknown God that you're already worshiping. What I have to share is a fuller understanding of this unknown being. Really, what I'm here to do is fill in the background. Now, do you see what he's doing there? Did you catch that connection that Paul's making? How he's meeting people where they are and making an effort to relate to them? How he uses this little opening of this unknown God statue as a means to connect and to expand. And even better of this uh, comes in verse 28, because here Paul is quoting an Athenian poet. It's not super clear when you hear the, the scripture read, but when you look at the text, you see that the phrases, in him we live and move and have our being, beautiful imagery, and for we too are his offspring, those are in quotations. So if you pull your Bible out when you get home, they're in quotations. That's Paul using the words of the poet Epimenides, whose language, though he lived five or 600 years prior to this time, is well known to the people. So this is an explicit attempt by Paul to find common ground with his audience. He's not being manipulative, but rather rhetorically astute to use a point of connection and have a different conversation. In some ways, this becomes an interfaith dialogue because Paul isn't trying to ask anyone to throw out what they already believe. He's trying to fill in the gaps that he sees. But here's where we have to make a transition. Because at the end of the passage, Paul's tone changes. Listen again to verses 29 through 31. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, what's happening here? What happened to our point of connection and commonality? Didn't I just tell you that this is an interfaith interaction? I did. And in many ways it is. Many ways it was. Because that's the key word as you get to the end of the passage. Was. Paul goes as far as he can to meet the Athenians where they are. He starts with points of connection, commonalities, Things his audience can't particularly disagree with because they believe them too. But by verse 29, Paul has reached the end of that common path. And this is, to quote Robert Frost, where their roads diverge. He isn't trying to be argumentative or unkind, but rather sharing what he believes to be true. God is calling all people to repentance. Jesus is God's appointed judge who will soon return to the world. The fancy seminary terminology, this is your seminary lesson for the day, 
That's called future eschatology, and it means you have an understanding that a cataclysm or the end of the world as we know it is going to occur at some point in the future. To say that another way, Paul's telling the Athenians that with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the world is now different. Judgment is coming, and he has a responsibility to share that good news. Now, we didn't read the final verses of this chapter. It's only about three verses. But the passage ends with a few folks laughing at Paul as they walk away. A few others saying, we really want to hear more. And count them, two whole people from this crowded hub of intellectual thought, believing Paul's, believing Paul's message and going with him. A few weeks ago, uh, my church in Pennsylvania, we share a youth group with three other churches. We had our weekly gathering on Sunday evening. And our task for the evening was to take a spiritual gifts inventory and then discuss our results. I've taken a few of these over the years, so I don't mind admitting I took it pretty quickly. I didn't overthink it, but um, maybe I should have because, while it's unsurprising my highest scores were in pastoral ministry and administration, my lowest score, and by low I mean I got a one out of ten, was in evangelism. <laughs> I tell you that to point out that evangelism isn't something I enjoy or even do very much of. But this is mostly because our modern model of evangelism is lousy. We aren't doing the kind of evangelism Paul models in this passage. We have rather gotten very good at the Big C Church at telling people when, why, and how they're wrong. At guilting and scaring people into a faith I suspect Jesus wouldn't choose to be part of. But that is not the kind of sharing of our faith we're called to do. We are called to share the way Paul does. Because the Athenians were onto something with their statue for that unknown God. Because there's so much of God that isn't ours to know. God is God and we are not, as frustrating as that is. And my friends, that's the beginning of the good news this morning. No matter how much time we spend in worship or Bible study or prayer, mission work or quiet reflection, God is and always will be mysterious. We will never fully figure God out. But that brings us to the second part of this morning's good news. It's because of this unknowableness that we can embrace humility in sharing our faith. For if God is ultimately mysterious, we can't possibly have all the answers. And more importantly, we don't have to try. Our calling isn't to answer every question. It is to find common ground. To meet people where they are. To speak up for what we believe to be Christ-like, representative of the gospel, and in keeping with God's boundless love. And to do all of that... What we have to understand is if our efforts, our best efforts, only result in one or two people wanting to take part in this life that we're choosing to live, well, we've at least done as well as Paul. And that is very good indeed.
celebrate the table fellowship of Jesus. All are worthy and all are welcome. As we receive the fruits of the Spirit, we celebrate the communion of all things. Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one. So may it always be. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom,
May God bless you with a distaste and superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that